0: And our scripture reading is Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. And again, like last week, it's just two um, words in the Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's two words. In English, we have to say a few more. You shall not commit adultery. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18, it's the same thing. It's just it adds the word and at the beginning. And you shall not commit adultery. So what what? oh, and let me turn to our other scripture reading this morning before we go back to that. Our uh, other scripture reading, as I said earlier, is Proverbs, chapter five. And I'll be reading verses one through 23. And I invite you to keep your mark there because we will come back to that chapter in the, the chapters following in a moment. So here the word of wisdom from Proverbs. Chapter five, verse one, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others. And your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing well from your own, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin he dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly he is led astray this is the reading of god's word and we say thanks be to god so this morning as you can tell our topic is the topic of adultery the seventh commandment and what is meant here by adultery in the new testament it's it's interesting to notice where this fits in the context of the Ten Commandments. The Sixth Commandment, as we saw last week, was the respect for the sanctity of life. You shall not murder. And we saw how Jesus has expanded that is to hatred. The, the source behind more murder is the hatred in your heart toward another person. But here it was specifically talking about the taking of another person's life. So the sixth deals with the respect for the sanctity of life. Here in the seventh the seventh commandment is dealing with the sanctity of the source of human life. And that is sexual relations. Adultery strictly speaking in the old Testament, uh, is sexual relations with someone else's wife. But in the broader context of, uh, of the old Testament and the new Testament as well, it extends out and it includes uh, sex outside of the marriage covenant. So it ends up encompassing all of those things. Strictly speaking, that term is referring to uh, sexual relations with somebody else's wife. But in the larger context, it, in, it includes anything that exists outside of God's bounds for sexual relationships. And that is marriage between a husband and a wife. And so this morning, we're going to look at this uh, passage in or these, this topic of adultery, and I want to begin with some of the consequences of adultery. How serious is this one? I think we know the seriousness of this across uh, all of these commandments. We know all of them are serious because all of these commandments represent the moral law of God. These are not positive laws given to a particular people at a specific time we're in no way to, to look at the Ten Commandments and think, well, that would just apply to Israel under the Old Covenant. There were rules and stipulations and decrees and statutes that did apply to Israel under that Old Covenant. But the basis, the foundation of that were the ten words inscribed on stone. And so because of that, how serious are all of these commandments? And we see some of the seriousness for this Seventh commandment of adultery, in that, in the Old Covenant, it was actually punishable by death under the Old Covenant law. See a couple of passages there, Deuteronomy chapter 22 and Leviticus chapter 10. Let's read uh, those together, Deuteronomy chapter 22. It says, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. Strong language, strong terms. And I don't mean to scare anybody here, but just to convey the seriousness with which this command uh, is to be taken. Or likewise, Leviticus chapter 20. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. These Old Testament commands are the backdrop behind the story in John's gospel, Uh, and many of the early manuscripts don't have this, but the woman who was caught in adultery. That's the, the backdrop here. And mysteriously in that story, it says in both of these passages that both the man and the woman were to suffer this fate, but mysteriously that guy escaped and disappeared, which is why the religious leaders just brought the woman to try and trap Jesus. That's the backdrop for this. So it's very serious. Why is it so serious? You see this here in the second part. It destroys individuals and society. It destroys individuals and, by extension, it destroys society. To this, I now invite you to turn with me to Proverbs Chapters 5 and 6 and 7. Much of the Proverbs, especially after chapter 10, are little concise sayings. Um, And so I've often wondered what it would be like to do a sermon series in Proverbs because you don't have like paragraphs or chapters that you can expound because they jump all over the place. But there are parts of Proverbs, there are parts of Proverbs that have extended teachings. And this is one of them, chapters 5, 6, and 7. It has a couple of topics, but one of the recurring topics is the danger of adultery. The passage that we just read earlier in chapter 5, Proverbs, again, this is Proverbs 5. It speaks here of the forbidden woman and other passages it refers to as the evil woman. And I want you to think of this as not like a particular individual Um, that this is uh, adultery personified, which could be an individual, you know, in specific situations. But the idea is this is adultery personified. In the same way that earlier in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as as a woman that needs to be sought after. Here, the forbidden woman is adultery personified. And it shows the foolishness of adultery. Now, let me kind of give you an outline of the passage that we had just read here. It begins with an introduction about this forbidden woman and her deadly allure. Verses 1 through 6. Proverbs 5.1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear that you may keep discretion. This is the words of a father to a son warning him. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And the forbidden woman there, it's, it's actually in the Hebrew, the word for forbidden there is strange. And you're not to think of this necessarily like a foreigner. You're to think of this as someone uh, who is not your wife. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. I want you to notice that refrain too. The the allure of Her speech and her language. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Father is saying to his son, do not be deceived. You're going to think this is going to be sweet like honey, and it's going to be bitter in the end. And here's the, the danger of it. We talked about how it destroys people. Here's the first glimpse of it. Her feet go down to death. So if you follow her, you're following in her steps. Down the path to Sheol. To, to follow the seduction of, the, of adultery would be to go to death. To go to Sheol, which is the Hebrew word, which is the abode of the dead. Strong language here. And so he gives an exhortation to flee from adultery, verses 7 through 14. So there was the introduction to the forbidden woman, and now the exhortation to flee from adultery. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Again, notice the danger of this. The robbing of your life. And your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. You say, oh, how I hated discipline and have my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Friends. I think all of you, statistically speaking, all of us would know somebody who uh, has experienced this. And nobody would, I would venture to say that nobody would say, you know, that turned out to be a really good experience. The refrain that I keep hearing when I hear of friends and acquaintances, who have either engaged in or been victimized by adultery, the brink of utter ruin is the best description for it. Then the father goes and gives a positive statement on the blessings of the uh, biblical sexual boundaries. That's 15 through, through 20. Uh, and don't need to drink all of this again, but he says basically, drink waters from your own cistern. Blowing waters from your own well. And I love this in verse 18. And rejoice in the wife of your youth. And as I sometimes do with Janet before a Sunday morning, uh, I was reading to her this passage. And it says, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. And I said, that's what, you're a lovely deer and a graceful doe. She was not as flattered, but I said it's (laughs) biblical. It's right here. But verse 20, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? There's there it is right there. And then he talks about the deadly woes that befall the man who gets entrapped by the adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his past. The iniquity of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. There it is again. How serious is it? It destroys individuals. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. I want to continue reading, too. Sometimes some of the best, especially in the case here of Proverbs, some of the best preaching could just be reading the scriptures. And so I want to continue a little bit here for us to get kind of the fuller picture because I think it's a great picture here of the dangers of idolatry. So let me continue on into chapter 6 and into chapter 7. And I may pause for comments here, but just follow along and hear the word of the Lord here, the warning of the Lord here. Skip to chapter 6 beginning in verse 20. And again, it's the advice from a father to a son. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman. From the smooth tongue, there it is again, of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Now, it's kind of an awkward sentence. That's actually translated various ways because it's a difficult one. Uh, but this is my understanding of it, is that relative uh, to the relatively small price of engaging the prostitute or the adulteress, the consequential loss outstrips it by far. In other words, put it this way, is a loaf of bread worth your life? Or even more explicit here and quite quite clear imagery. Verse 27, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? And the answer is no. So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught... He will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. And then continuing on into chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Here it begins again with the Father's word of warning in verses 1 through 5. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend. And again, Why? to keep you from the adulterous woman or from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words and then notice this pretty graphic depiction and visual that the father gives here verse 6 this is the father's wise observation for at the window of my house i have looked out through the lattice and I have seen among the simple. Okay, this doesn't mean that they're not smart. This would be, this would be a reference to those who would be foolish. I've seen among the simple. I've perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. Now, what's the reference there to the sacrifices? Probably that um, she had to to do the animal sacrifices, probably referring to she has some meat at home. She has some food. But she's even more bold. Verse 16, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. And now the unwitting victim meets his faith. Verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O oh sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many of victim she has laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol. There's that Hebrew word again. For the grave. The abode of the dead. Her house... That's, that's the doorway. You walk through that doorway, giving in to the adulterer, to adultery, to fornication. He says that is the doorway to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Why is this so serious? Because it destroys lives. And again, adulterers will face God's judgment. Adulterers will face God's judgment. The book of Revelation uh, ends with this graphic depiction of the the judgment, the finality of it. And this in verse 8, it says, But for as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, and here's the umbrella term referring to all of it. Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and death, which is fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Where's the writer of Hebrews says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Why? Why? For God will judge the sexually immoral and idolatrous. Adulterous. This is why it's forbidden. This is why it is so bad. This is why it is so dangerous. And so much more so when we get to the New Testament, when we get to the words of Jesus. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Again, on the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And here again, he's quoting from Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. He says, you've heard it was said. And like he's done throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to say, here's the commandment. And now I'm going to give you the the back meaning behind it, the deeper meaning that's behind this. Like he had done with murder, which we saw last week. He says, you said, do not murder. He says, I tell you, anybody who hates his brother does the same here. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And again, the seriousness of it is conveyed in the next words. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members uh, than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members than that your whole body go into hell. A couple of things here. Some Uh, some teachers would say that Jesus downplayed hell or even didn't make that an emphasis. Jesus says, uh, actually, that is a cause for concern for your present behavior, actually. That's one. And then the second is that he gives these extreme statements. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, Of course, you understand what Jesus is saying here. He's talking, he's conveying the seriousness with which this is. He goes, it would be better if you would go into heaven maimed than to go to hell whole. So here Jesus is getting to the heart of it. It's not just external, it's the internal as well. The sixth commandment, as we saw with murder, I love. Like J.C. Ryle said this last week, many thought, many thought in Jesus or the Old Testament times, and even in Jesus' day, many thought that they could keep that sixth commandment, "You shall not murder." They could keep that part of God's law as long as they didn't commit actual murder, and that the Lord had showed that its requirements go much further than this. Similarly. Likewise, with the seventh commandment, it does the same thing. Many suppose, and I'm quoting Ryle here, many suppose that they kept this part of God's law if they did not actually commit adultery. The Lord Jesus teaches that we may break it in our thoughts, hearts, and imaginations, even when our outward conduct is moral and correct. The God with whom we have to do Looks far beyond actions. With him, even a glance of the eye may be a sin. And this is why the Westminster Larger uh, Confession, uh, Larger uh, Catechism, uh, follows along with what we did in our catechism questions here: what is what is forbidden, what is permitted. It begins by talking. It's much longer and much more expansive, but it begins by dealing with the externals. So, what's forbidden? In this command against adultery, understanding that there's a bigger picture here, when you read through all of the Old Testament, you understand it's anything outside of the marriage covenant relationship. And then when you look at what Jesus has to say about it too and it goes inward, it begins with the externals and then goes to the internals. Externally, it says, here's what's forbidden, adultery, fornication, rape, incest, and sodomy. And by the way, as... as as legalizing abortion was one of the greatest violations of the Sixth Commandment today, so legalizing same-sex marriage was one of the greatest violations of the Seventh Commandment today. That those have been legalized is really a statement of the true spiritual nature of our country. But moving on. Begins with the externals, adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, all of those forbidden, and as well as polygamy and polyamory, having more wives or husbands than one at the same time. I remember 10 years ago looking down the road and seeing where we were going as a country, and I was like, you know what? It's going to get to where we're going to—you're going to have open arguments for polygamy, and you're going to have open arguments even for for incest and other types of things— and I remember that being met with a little bit of suspicion, and here, here we are. But it doesn't just focus on the externals. Following the teachings of Jesus, it goes to the internals as well, and it adds these. It says, all unnatural lusts, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications or listening thereunto, wanton looks, impotent or light behavior, immodest apparel, prohibiting of lawful and dispensing with unlawful marriages, entangling vows of single life, undue delay of marriage, unjust divorce or desertion. Lascivious, and this is, again, this is, Several centuries old, uh, lascivious songs. Did I pronounce that right? Lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancing, and stage plays. They would update that to the, to streaming TV shows and movies. All other provocations too are acts of uncleanness either in ourselves or others. So they're they're warning here, this is what's forbidden. You've got to understand there's a bigger picture here. It's not just the externals, it's the internals as well. And what are the things, what are the inputs that you're allowing in that is slowly eroding, you're staying far away from that woman's door? It goes on to say what's required. What are the duties required? Well, chastity of body, mind, affections, words, and behavior. And I love this line too. And the preservation of it in ourselves and others. Watchfulness over the eyes and all of the senses, temperance, keeping of chaste company, modest apparel, marriage by those who have not the gift of uh, continency, conjugal love and cohabitation, Diligent labor in all our calling, uh, callings, shunning all occasions and uncleanness, and resisting temptations thereunto. Adultery is very, very serious. And it's so, in the larger um, backdrop here, of sexual immorality is so pervasive today. But another reason why I think it's very very dangerous and very bad, and, and follow with me here, because we've been talking about actual or what I'll call literal adultery. But in the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, they take this idea of adultery and they uh, make it a metaphor for faithlessness in your relationship with God or in other words they, there's there's also such a thing as spiritual adultery time does not permit us if you want to you could go through say a prophet like Jeremiah who uses this metaphor for Israel's unfaithfulness and he says and you know what you're like you're you're actually you're actually like an unfaithful spouse who's going and committing adultery with all of the other deities. You're demonstrating a a total undermining of what is a beautiful picture of God and his people. With God, with his covenant loyalty and faithful love for his people, and your response to that is to wander away. I think Jeremiah often speaks about how you go and spread yourselves out on the tops of high hills and under under trees, which would be kind of where the places of idolatry would have been in that day. This is spiritual adultery. And this is why. Why does this matter so much? Because one of the metaphors for Christ's relationship and his union with his people, his church, is marriage. We saw this a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 5. And I was looking at uh, um, at it from the perspective of the roles, the household codes, but we didn't spend a lot of time on this aspect of it here. But in Ephesians 5, you can turn there if you want. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Oh, so, okay. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, so it's now, oh, I see. what you've. So earthly marriages then are a picture of the relationship with Christ and his church. Likewise, it does the same with husbands. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives. How? As your elders taught you to? Love, love your wives as, as, um, as they taught you at the, the latest Christian conference? No. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Apostle Paul is clearly putting together that earthly marriages are illustrations of the marriage of Christ and his church. It actually kind of works, works both ways. Earthly marriages then are like a microcosm of the marriage of Christ and his bride, the church. And so why is that important? And you've heard me say this before many times. I refer to us human beings. We are psychosomatic beings. What does that mean? Well, that's the Greek words psuche for soul and soma for body. We are a body-soul unity. And so what we do with our physical selves in engaging in the most intimate of acts with another person, we are not just doing that physically. You cannot enmesh your physical selves at the most intimate level without it entailing your souls. right? Isn't that the point of Proverbs 5, 6, and 7? If you could summarize it and you go, why why is this so dangerous? It's not just dangerous to you physically. It's dangerous to your soul. So the physical union conveys something deeper. The physical union is supposed to go hand in hand with the enmeshing of souls. And this fact is embedded by the creator as image bearers, and it's why this matters so much. It's why God chose the metaphor of marriage for the union between himself and his church and all that it represents. Exclusivity, fidelity, covenant loyalty, wholehearted devotion, trust, steadfastness. The marriage union is to embody those things, because Christ embodies those things. Christ embodies those things for the church. And so in the way that Christ is faithful, covenantally faithful with his people and causes people to be likewise, so should our marriages be. So should the marriage bed be. It should be protected and saved. So in a way, this gets us then to the gospel. That Christ indeed does forgive us. And I I think of, forgive us for our waywardness and for our unfaithfulness. I love the prophet Hosea, the story of Hosea, where the Lord commands him to go and engage with and marry someone who ends up becoming unfaithful to him. And, And he makes that, that's an illustration of my Faithful love for those who are wayward, who have committed sins, who have lost their way, whose souls are going to Sheol, and yet through Christ and faith in Him, we could be reconciled and brought back to Him. So friends, this command is a serious command, and it is applicable to us today. And not just what we do with our physical bodies, But with what, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed that. Jesus says put to death those sorts of things. And how, how do we do that? Well, I think we return back to Christ. We run to him. We receive the the open arms that he offers to us. That we rest in his work. It's a challenge in our days to keep your thoughts and your minds pure. There's lots of different suggestions and tips for how we could do that. But perhaps the first is to realize... How much Christ loves you. How faithful he is to you. And that you would rest in his love for you. Amen. With that in mind, let us take together our Lord's Supper. Because what better way to celebrate this than... To remind ourselves of this gospel than to partake of the meal that Jesus gave us. It is sometimes called communion. We call it the Lord's Supper, but sometimes it is communion because it is reminding us of the union that we have with, with our Savior. It's an ongoing reminder of our covenantal relationship with Christ. And so before we do, I invite you to just take a few moments. I know we've, we've prayed a prayer of confession earlier, but perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has brought to mind some more ways that you can bring before our Savior. As the Scriptures call us, we are able to come and confess our sins boldly before the throne, <coughs> Because he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so perhaps there's been ways in which hearing the words of Jesus or the warnings in Proverbs. May this give you an opportunity to just confess those and bring them before your Savior. Let's do that quietly now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this meal of our Lord and what this represents for us, this means of grace, where we are reminded of the gospel, we're reminded of what our Savior has done to redeem us from all unrighteousness. And as we take this meal together, that you would encourage us and nourish us with the truth of this gospel. That you would, because of your great love for us and because of your grace and the good news of what you have accomplished, that you would by your spirit enable us then to put those things to death, to consider those Members of sin to be lopped off, and that we would rejoice in our, the union we have with our Savior. So we thank you that we could come to this table with joy and rejoicing. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.